For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger For the ones who get it done. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Speak the Truth podcast. I am your host, Matt Tardio. Today's episode is being sponsored by Manscaped. You gotta love that name, Manscaped. If you guys want to find more information on me, you can go over to Instagram and you can follow me on there at AngerTab, A-N-G-E-R-T-A-B. You can see lots of cringy, cringy life photos of myself and uh, I don't know, some of the dumb crap I do from time to time. All right, let's go ahead and dive right into the information coming out of Ukraine. At about 3 a.m. this morning, the Kerch Bridge was attacked. Now that bridge is the, the main bridge in between, the only bridge in between Russia and uh, Crimea, and it's been attacked twice now. The first time it was attacked was back in October of 2022, and it destroyed the bridge. It was out of commission, I think, until February of this year. And that bridge is of extremely strategic importance to Russia and the troops in the Crimean Peninsula. All their supplies are being pushed across that bridge. And if you remember last week, I was talking about um, President Zelensky's plan for Ukraine, which included cutting off Crimea, right? Going out of Kyrgyzstan and cutting off Crimea. And so now what we're seeing is that bridge that supplies a lot of the uh, support for those troops coming out of Russia attacked. So um, un- unbeknownst right now uh, what it was, it sounds like it was um, a bomb or missile dropped off a uh, unmanned drone that ended up hitting the bridge and destroying it. Looks like some of the pictures show the um, lane that's heading out of Crimea and going into Russia was actually what was destroyed on that. Now, just because that lane is the one that collapsed doesn't mean that that whole bridge isn't totally destroyed. Um, We're going to overlay a picture of this video so you can kind of see what we're talking about when it comes to that bridge being damaged. But there's a lot of damage to that bridge. And that bridge is of very strategic importance for Russian troops. So the fact that it was attacked might just actually be signifying that we could start seeing the shaping operations right now going into uh, the Ukrainians' plans for attacking that region. So with the recent uh, arrival of the U.S. 155 millimeter rounds, which I believe are of actual strategic importance for Ukraine, when it comes for their shaping operations and moving forward um, on those Russian lines, I believe that bridge being destroyed is one of the first of many shaping operations that we're about to see take place in and around the Crimean region. Let's hope for the best. All right. So going on out of the rest of Ukraine, um, there Ukraine's been making quite a bit of territorial grounds in and around Bakhmut. Um, they have how do you want to say had a lot of success south of the city, a little bit more to the north of the city, and they're still kind of pushed up right up to the edge, just off to the west. They haven't quite yet been able to completely and totally envelop the city. Last week, I believe I reported you guys that Ukraine was claiming that they had cut off all the supply roads going into the city. And again, there's no evidence to really suggest that that's actually happened. But what they have done is taken some key terrain in and around the city of Bakhmut that allows them to pour artillery fire down onto the city itself. Now that's pretty freaking cool. 
at the same time that all of that's going on in Bakhmut with these assaults that are going on, I think there's an underreported story that kind of needs looked at a little bit more, and that's the relieving of one of the airborne commanders inside that city. Now, I can't tell you whether or not this commander was relieved because of incompetence or if he was relieved because of Tyus Bergosian. That information hasn't came out yet, and it's, it's really kind of unclear on whether or not the guy was relieved and or arrested. But the important part is that that commander for that area of the city or that that commander coming out of the city um, is actually responsible for those areas down to the south or so it would seem where Ukraine is making a lot of advancements. Now, if you're familiar with military operations, you know that when a commander gets relieved, it's never a good thing. So it's one of those two, right? Either he's doing a really crappy job and he got relieved for that reason. They're going to put somebody else in or he got ripped out of that position because of his highest Pagosian. Either way, if we have a commander that gets installed because they felt he wasn't doing a good job, basically he gets relieved because they felt he wasn't doing a good job, what we're likely to see then is a new commander that gets installed that is probably going to take a much more aggressive approach towards those Ukrainians down in the south that are that are taking terrain from Russia. If it was he was snap, like a, a hip-jerk reaction snatched out of that position, it's very likely it is very, very likely that that caused a lot of confusion amongst those Russian airborne troops and that Ukraine's going to continue to build on that momentum and continue to take more terrain because it's going to take a second for them to step up and fix that problem. So we will see what ends up happening with that situation. But um, Ukraine's got some good momentum right now and they're not going to lose it. And if anything, I, I don't care even if they put this new commander in, it's going to help them with a lot of momentum because that commander's got to get a feel for what's going on. Or maybe they just promoted an underling. I don't know. Nothing has really came out of that yet. But what I do know is it's going to it's gonna cause some problems going into there. Now, it would be one thing in this fight if it was just one commander that was getting relieved or replaced. But there's actually reports of several commanders just this month that Russia is either arresting, replacing, they would pick a pick a freaking verb and throw it at it. Russia is ripping commanders out left and right. So the commander of the 58th combined arms army has reportedly been to Smith. The seventh Vedeve division commander in early July was dismissed. So another airborne commander, the commander of the 90th tank division was arrested. And there is now reports that Russia plans on dismissing the 31st Vedeve brigade commander. Lots of people that are being relieved by Russia on the battlefield, and whether that's due to incompetence or whether that's due to ties to Prigozhin and his coup, they're not really kind of releasing that information. But what we do know is that they are replacing a lot of commanders up on the front line right now. And chances are it is due to incompetence because Ukraine is taking some terrain. It's not a lot, okay, but they are taking terrain. And even Ukraine is, is kind of recognized that, like, hey, look, these are shaping operations, more to come, right? And when we have those new 155 shells arriving in Ukraine, I, I believe it was, yep, it was last week, I reported that Ukraine shoots around 6,000 155 rounds a day. And it's, it, it's not enough. They need to be able to kick a lot more out in order to kind of meet their operational requirements. So hopefully this kind of helps Ukraine out quite a bit, having one, Russian commanders being removed, causing confusion on the battlefield, but two, having those new 155 shells on the ground um, in order to help them advance through some of those trenches. One of the main things that's holding them up is all the minefields, right? Russia has had almost a year now 
and a lot of this a lot of this area to actually build in defense and picture the amount of stuff that board soldiers can get done in a year there's a lot of mines there's a lot of wire there's a lot of trenches that they have to fight their way through and they need artillery but even more importantly they probably need air support if they're looking to advance um, a hell of a lot further now that air support itself originally you know was i think training was supposed to take place in june then it was july then it was august now I'm reading that those F-16 pilots aren't going to actually get their training until possibly October, November timeframe. So more to follow on that. No idea when it's actually going to take place, but they, it looks like the deadline for the fast mover training just keeps getting pushed back and pushed back and pushed back. And they really need to get their shit together personally if they if they want to do a, um, a lot better as far as this offensive goes. That should be kind of one of the uppermost things that they're pushing to get done. Let's talk about the NATO summit last week. Um, that concluded and what kind of came out of that. So out of that NATO summit, um, a lot of information actually kind of came out. Honestly, a lot of it probably looked to me as propaganda, a lot of handshaking and stuff like that for the cameras. And they did get some work done while they were there. Um, but one of the things I wish somebody would have mentioned was that Article 1 in NATO states that if the country's in conflict, it ain't joining NATO. So while they might be cutting red tape for Ukraine in order to get into NATO... Regardless of what happens, according to Article 1, Ukraine can't join, right? Like the war itself has to kind of come to an end. And I've said it before, what I believe, all right, an end for Ukraine would be is to be kicking Russia completely and totally out of its terrain, okay, all the way out of the east, the DPR and the LPR, and all the way out of Crimea. They're going to take all of it back. They won't accept anything less. Russia might be now looking for some sort of a peace deal, all right, much like we see in North and South Korea where the parallel goes in, but Ukraine's not going to accept it. So it's going to be a much more drawn out conflict, and we're likely not to see Ukraine join NATO unless they end up changing their rules, right? Anyway, so out of that summit um, came three main things that they were looking at as far as the Ukraine war goes. The first one is ensuring a sustainable force capable of defending Ukraine now and deterring Russian aggression in the future. The second thing they're looking at doing at the summit is strengthening Ukraine's economic stability and resilience, including through reconstruction and recovery efforts to create the conditions conducive to promoting Ukraine's economic prosperity, including its energy security. And then lastly, a long-term investment in Ukraine's future forces aimed at ensuring Ukraine has a sustainable fighting force. So they're looking at doing a heck of a lot more for Ukraine in the future. And I think, honestly, that is a no-brainer. But really, what, what kind of came out of that is not much. Like I said, I think the biggest thing that I reported on last week was they went from uh, four brigades all the way up to eight brigades deploying um, over across that Eastern European theater in order to kind of just do a show of force to Russia and tell it that, you know, like NATO is not going to back down with your crap. You know, you it's funny, you know, Russia complained about NATO encroaching on its territory and NATO just answered back by doubling its freaking forces um, over there up to eight brigades in pretty much every country that borders Ukraine and Russia um, over in that theater. Now, while we're on the discussion of the uh, European theater, as far as we as Americans would concern it, is President Biden ordered 3,000 reserve troops um Last Friday, I believe it was, 3,000 reserve troops ordered to the European theater, also known as Operation Atlantic Resolve or OAR uh, to U.S. service members. Um, about 3,000 new troops are going to get added. Now, currently, there is about 100,000 United States troops deployed over into uh, Europe. And out of that 100,000, about 20,000 troops are deployed for OAR. So they're adding about 3,000 more to the 20,000. Now, here's the interesting thing. 
two weeks ago, I want to say Rob and I were on here and we were talking about the recruiting crisis going on within the United States military. It's not so much a retention crisis. They've already like the army has already reached its retention goals for 2023, but it's more or less a recruiting crisis. Now that could be caused by a lot of different things, but the bottom line is it's still happening and they're missing their goals. So I'm going to stick away from the politics on it and just tell you, we told you this was coming. We told you. All right. So U.S. service members who sign up for service to their country, they get the options for many different lengths of contract, most of the time up to about eight years, six years, four years. Uh, there used to be some two-year ones. I don't even know if those exist anymore. But regardless, if you sign up for two, four, or six years, you sign up for eight years total time federal service. If you do four years in active duty, you owe four years in the inactive ready reserve. If you do two years of active duty, or reserve duty, you owe six years into the inactive ready reserve. So of those 3,000 troops uh, that Biden authorized, he also authorized uh, 450 to be taken back to active duty out of the IRR, the inactive ready reserve. So what does that mean? Those 450 troops had served their contract that they had originally signed up for, the I don't know, two, four, six-year contract that they had, and their MOS is currently in a critical shortage. And so now they're going to get a phone call and a letter from the United States government, giving them another report date to put their uniform back on and show back up for work for the United States military. And oh, by the way, you're going to Operation Atlantic Resolve because your MOS has a critical shortage. So that's taking place currently as we speak. There's probably people getting phone calls this week um, and letters and notifications, those 450 that, hey, guess what? You got to go back to work for the military. That's a big problem. That's a big problem. We're not even at a stage of conflict yet. As a matter of fact, in the Iraq war, I want to say it wasn't until like 2007 that we started recalling troops. Um, And so, you know, we aren't even on a full scale war operation over here. We've got what I say, 20,000 troops deployed for OAR and they're already tapping into the IRR. That's a big problem. We've downscaled our military so vastly so vastly that we can't even handle an additional 3,000 troop deployment without hitting up 450 from the IRR to go over there. Now, I don't know what MOS is. To be fair, I don't know what MOS is they're calling up. It could be some weird, obscure uh, tech geek MOS, right? Not, not not necessarily a pipe hitter, but a very technical MOS that's very hard to train, takes a long time to come by, which likely a lot of them probably are. But I guarantee you some of them aren't, okay? And so when our military is that low and lacking on people, if, for example, we get drug into a full-on scale with Russia, that's bad. We don't have enough people. And I'm telling you right now, they're going to need to do a draft. They're going to have to institute a draft. And, and America's not going to like it. They're going to bitch. They're going to gripe. They're going to moan. They're going to push hard for it. But if we're calling up 450 out of the IR right now just to deploy 3,000 troops over to OAR, there's going to be a problem. Mark my freaking words. And while we're talking about our military having kind of a recruiting crisis, I want to talk about just a, a, a whoopsie that the military had over the last, I want to say it was like a couple of days. The military had a huge whoopsie over the last couple of days. We sent millions, millions of documents into the country of Mali. Millions. Now, for those of you that are unfamiliar uh, with that particular country, Um, It has close ties to Russia. Don't you love an extra $100 in your pocket? Have a TurboTax expert file your taxes for you by March 31st to get $100 back instantly. Because no matter what moves you made last year, TurboTax makes them count. 
That means getting $100 back and 100% accurate taxes only from Intuit TurboTax. Must file by 331. Credit only applicable to federal filing fees with TurboTax full service. Offer can be modified or terminated at any time. With LinkedIn Jobs, we tap into a network of more than a billion professionals to help you find quality professionals quickly and easily for any role you need. Marketing wizards? Found them. Software engineers? Found. That project manager I could never seem to hire? And found. LinkedIn Jobs quickly matches your roles with candidates with the right skills and experience. In fact, 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. Post your first job for free and get started at linkedin.com slash spoken. That's linkedin.com slash spoken. Terms and conditions apply. So when you guys are at your cookout, you guys want to let the, the meat speak for itself with Manscaped's Performance Package 4.0. It's time to get ready and not sweaty by going to manscaped.com and using code SPEAK for 20% off plus free shipping. So if you guys ever like been trimming your balls, yes, your testicles, the ones you got dangling between your legs. Have you guys ever like been trimming them and they all of a sudden you, you nick and it's just kind of a bloody little mess? Yes. I said that because it's happened. You prop your leg up on the wall. You look, you make sure you still have both of them down there. Guess what? I don't have that problem anymore because of Manscaped. The lawnmower 4.0 is by far the best thing I've ever put around my sack. If you guys have not checked it out, it's this thing right here that you see on the lovely screen. It's got a beautiful light. It's waterproof. It just goes and it absolutely shreds away. That is a terrible way to put it, but it absolutely... it, it shreds away all the hair down there. You look nice, silky like a baby's butt. Your women or your man, I don't care what you're sticking your thing in, they will absolutely love you for it. Now, the Manscaped Performance Package 4.0 has everything you need and guarantee you'll have the most mouth-watering treats at the party. And I'm not kidding when I say that. Everybody's going to stick your treats in their mouth. It's going to be great. They have built the ultimate bundle for your summer grooming. The lawnmower, like I'm telling you guys right now, that thing is phenomenal. Cutting-edge ceramic blade to reduce the grooming accidents thanks to their advanced skin-safe technology. So now that you guys feel safe about wearing your low-cut swimsuit without any stragglers peeking out, use Manscaped Liquid Formulations, basically the ball freshest version of cracking open a cold one. Yes, the crop was you slap that ball deal around they keep you cool from sunrise to sunset with soothing aloe vera formula it's literally the best in the business for the below the waist freshest now manscaped even threw in two free gifts the performance package 4.0 has two free ones that's the manscaped boxers and the shed travel bag wearing sandals with some of the nasty toenails during the summer months take the look away with the shears 2.0 a luxury nail grooming kit yes this kit includes a stainless steel nail cutter tweezers and grooming scissors right now you guys get 20% off plus free shipping with code speak at manscaped.com that's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com using code speak manscaped is the perfect way to get your panties sizzling hot this summer manscaped.com hey code speak 20% off check them out the link at the very top of the description kind of kind of interesting little factoid there well the millions of United States documents get this they were mistakenly sent over there because of the web domain address okay so the military uses dot mil right us dot army dot mil or at least that one used to be I wonder if that's still active it's got to be. It probably changed it into something else. Nope, that one doesn't exist anymore. I'm sure they, they moved it to something else or either my internet's down, but whatever. The, the military uses .mil addresses when it comes to things. Um, so maybe it's arm, just army.mil. Who, who the hell knows what they changed it to? Either way, if, probably if you're on active duty, you know. Either way, all right, um, the army uses .mil addresses. 
Molly uses .ml, Mike Lima. So Mike India Lima for U.S. military, Mike Lima for Molly. Now you would think that when we were developing all of these different websites and email addresses and everything else that we would be able to kind of hack um, some sort of, I don't know, code into the system that would prevent that email from being sent out, but we didn't. And we sent over a ton of information. What type of information do you say we sent over there? Um, According to the Financial Times, we sent over diplomatic documents, tax returns, passwords, and travel details of top U.S. officers. Not a big deal. Um, Just millions of documents um, sent over. So, yeah, it's whatever. Anyways, this kind of damage control isn't really new for the United States government. We've made these um, mistakes before in the past, but I, I don't know if it's been on this scale. And I'm sure it has been. Um, and, you know, China has hacked the Pentagon numerous times. I think back in 2012, they actually hacked into the Pentagon. And that's how they discovered that they were inside, like, some of our unclassified computer systems. Um, and it caused a, a pretty big freaking problem. So the U.S. government's really good about shutting that kind of stuff down when it does happen. If you're in the military and some of this information uh, involved you, likely what you got was some sort of an email saying, like, hey, um, there was an unauthorized release of your information and they offer you, I can't remember what it is, um, LifeLock, I want to say it is. So if, if they offer that to you, take it uh, because the U.S. government just released your freaking information into the wild and is likely going over to Russia. So take them up on that offer. Okay, I want to take you guys over to uh, Afghanistan and what's kind of happening over there right now. Um as you probably know, it's really hard to get information out of that country. Excuse me as I try to pull up these documents right now. It's really hard to get information out of that country. Um, the UN actually has done a, a fairly decent job, in my opinion, on keeping up what's kind of going on over there. And it's really a lot of that um, information that I am currently getting and getting out of there is coming out of these different UN reports. Um, the latest one that I ended up seeing, um, involved human rights violations and it was in June of 2022. I think I'm going to close it out give me just a second here. Uh, UN. Okay. So you can get this report in English, Dari or Pashto apparently. So the title of this document is human rights situation in Afghanistan. And it starts off talking about the rights of women and girls um, and the severe restrictions that are being placed on women inside of Afghanistan. One of the reports that I actually read out of this happened in Kabul, where there was a group of young females that were walking around the streets in Kabul. And the police stopped this group of females because their ankles were showing. They then held the girls down and beat them with cables and sticks to teach them a lesson. A lot of the things that I'm finding in here, obviously they have to do with like women and trying to put women back in or put them back under their thumb, if you will. Okay, there's a lot of pretty bad human rights violations when it comes to women. Um, you know, there's obviously the, the beauty salons that have to get closed down. But another interesting one that actually came out of this report had to do with women not being allowed to visit cemeteries. Apparently, they've closed off the visitation of cemeteries for women inside of Afghanistan, which I found extremely intriguing of all places for them not to be able to go. There's also many women that have been stopped just for not having a man walking with them, um, and then they get beat. Uh, But corporal punishment, the death penalty, 
um, when it comes to that, I was actually kind of surprised. Um, there's plenty of reports of men being beaten around the country of Afghanistan because they have, um, you know, they're accused of adultery or something else. A lot of the, one of the main reports I saw in here as far as capital punishment goes was because they were ISIS fighters. Um, and that it was ISIS fighters that had been captured and then later killed a couple of days later. And whether or not that was by the official government or by troops or, or like the two different instances I ended up seeing. Um, however, when it comes down to public lashings, one of the ones that I found absolutely intriguing when it come down to the public lashings, the Taliban announced a day prior that we're going to do public lashings for a couple guys in Kabul. The next day, over 2,000 people showed up and watched these dudes get lashed 39 times a piece. And I don't know what's going on with the number 39. Maybe I need to do a little bit more research into Islam, but all the lashings that I ended up seeing taking place on here are all with like 39 lashes. And I, I can't imagine the amount of freaking pain that goes into that. Here you go. On 21 May in Parwan province, um, the de facto court of appeal publicly lashed a woman convicted of adultery. She was lashed 39 times and the punishment was announced by the de facto Supreme court on their website on 24 May in Kandahar, six men were publicly lashed 39 times having been convicted of sodomy and adultery. Excuse me. This is the one I was talking about where 2000 people showed up. So in Kandahar city and Kandahar city on 24 May, six men were publicly lashed 39 times each convicted of sodomy and adultery. 2000 people reported the attendance of the punishment, which was announced by the provincial de facto authorities a day earlier. The de facto authorities had issued a warning that those in attendance would not be allowed to take photos or videos and that anyone who violated this instruction would face serious consequences. The de facto Supreme Court also issued a statement on the flogging, alleging that the convicted individuals had confessed to their crimes. On June 20th, the de facto Supreme Court announced via Twitter the implementation of the death penalty against a 35-year-old man. This constitutes a second recorded instance of the death penalty being carried out in accordance with a court decision since the Taliban takeover. The first was in Farah on 7 December of 22. The individual had been convicted of killing three kids and a man in two separate incidents. Okay, you know what? That one I'll give to the Taliban. <laughs> Sounds like a piece. I, I, I don't know if it was, I, I don't really trust in their judicial system, but yeah, it is what it is. Anyways, if you, if you go over to this document, you can find it, the human rights by the UN um, dated June of 2023 for the country of Afghanistan. It's titled uh, human rights situation in Afghanistan, May to June of 2023. The amount of information that's in here is just mind numbing um, when it comes to some of the stuff that's going on within the country of Afghanistan. To give you some kind of an idea of the different, types of things that go on under these Islamic rules. I kind of want to tell you guys a story uh, from Iraq that took place and it involved a woman and a man, uh, roughly 17 and 18 years of age that ended up wanting to marry each other. Now the man, he went home. Let me, let me preface this by telling you that I was there. All right. And I seen this stuff kind of 
taking place unfolding. The way the reason I know about the story is we went over to go to a meeting at an Iraqi police station and they had this guy in custody inside of one of his jail cells. So we would frequent these Iraqi police stations and go over there in order to figure out who that they had arrested as far as terrorists were concerned or what we deemed as terrorists to take their fingerprints and biometrics and see if we could link them to any of the other attacks that had taken place across that country. We obviously had a system enrolled of all types of stuff. We'd collect evidence and we'd fingerprint it and we'd do DNA analysis, all sorts of weird um, in order to catch these guys and link them to other crimes, right? So anyways, we show up to this police station in order to grab some biometric information off of the prisoners and there was a guy inside of the jail cell. Now this guy inside the jail cell, we asked what he was there for and that's kind of where the story comes from. So the police chief tells us, This man was arrested and he's being put to death. Now, the reason he's being put to death is because he had eloped with this girl. He had asked for permission to marry the girl and the girl's family said, no, we don't want it. You're not allowed. You can't marry this girl. Well, the guy ends up running off with this chick anyways. So they're gone overnight. Now, when this girl's gone overnight, the family automatically assumes the family automatically assumes that they sleep together or it's looked that way in the culture that she's gone overnight with another man. So that's probably what happened when they're eventually caught. The family ends up killing the girl to preserve the honor of the family. It's called an honor killing. I still struggle with the, I I guess is a Westerner. I still struggle with, with how that works in their brains, but they end up calling it an honor killing and they kill this female. Then the police end up arresting the guy and putting the guy on trial for murder. In their eyes, because he ran away with the girl, the family was forced to kill her in order to preserve her honor and the honor of the family, and that the guy is responsible for it, so he gets put on trial for murder. The reason I bring that up is because inside this document, looking over at some of the stuff that the Taliban's doing, a lot of that kind of reminds me of the same exact crap that's going on over there inside that country as well. I'm not saying that, you know, we've done uh, a lot of amazing things. And uh, there was, you know, it's funny, there was some guy in the comment section here um, that I was scrolling through. If you don't know, I do read the comments quite frequently just to kind of keep up on you guys. I did tell them to fix the audio issue. If any of you guys uh, have noticed, hopefully the audio got cranked up quite a bit for you. But Um, you know, there was a guy accusing me of being like a Biden lover or a Trump hater and all this other crap. Um, I'm neither just FYI. I'm a libertarian. I believe in equal rights for everybody. I think that you should be left alone to do whatever the hell you want in the privacy of your own house. As long as you don't harm other people with very few exceptions to that rule. Right. But for the most part, the government needs to mind its own business in my opinion. Anyways, so I do go through the comment section. If you guys if you guys want to leave stuff there for suggestions for future videos, by all means, jump in there and drop those comments in. Uh, we have looked at correcting that. And one of the comments that I saw was people wanted to hear a little bit more about some of my stories from the military. So I want to give you a little uh, background on Rob and I. And it's, it's funny, him and I hosting this podcast together and how we actually came about doing that. So Rob and I, uh, Rob showed up to our infantry unit uh, as a private, and I was, I want to say, an E5 or an E6 at the time, right? Either a sergeant or a staff sergeant. He ended up getting assigned to me, and I thought he was one of the biggest F-ups on the planet. Um, But he ends up being probably one of the best soldiers that I ever got my hands on. Um, 
I didn't realize it until we were out. I, I think if you've watched this or you've, you've followed Rob and I for a while, you know that uh, there was there's a story that we tell about him um, smashing my camelback in the back of a Bradley, and it's all the water that I needed. We probably told the story like two weeks ago. Anyways, during that very same training operation, we were going through a village, um, um, clearing out a village during a training operation, and we were in a very tight alleyway, and Rob was all the way in the back of the stack. So I'm moving my squad down this alleyway. I'm up towards the front as either the two or the three men. I've got everybody single stacked up on the right side of this alleyway. And a target had presented itself probably about, I want to say 75 yards outside of this alleyway. And it was a live ammo or a live fire exercise that we were doing. And off to my left was one of the observer controllers from the National Training Center, NTC, that was off to my left. So there's, to, to kind of paint this picture for you, we're in an alleyway. I'm on the right, stacked up with a group of guys going back. There's the observer controller, the OC, on the left, and there is just a little bit of space in between us. And as we're going down and moving, I hear somebody yell, like, threat or target or something like that, and a shot crank off from the back. It's like, okay, cool. I figured that shot, because we're in an alleyway, obviously it's kind of hard to tell how close or how far away it is inside of an alleyway, but it sounded like maybe one or two guys behind me that threw that shot right down the middle. I watched the target fall down. It was a pop-up target. I watched the target fall down. And we go in and we complete the objective and we kind of get it done. Now, at this moment in time, like Rob had pissed me off to the point where I had literally dummy corded him, taken 550 cord and tied him off to his NCO. So I had him on like a three-foot string to keep him like that close to his NCO. And we get inside this building um, and the OC ends up calling the entire story. He calls it and he's like, all right, we're done, all done. And he's like, hey man, are you aware of what just happened back there? I know you're up towards the front. Are you aware of what just happened? I'm like, I don't know, man, what the hell are you talking about? And he goes, well, um, that shot that took place in the alleyway while we were moving, it went right in between you and I. I was like, yeah, I kind of figured. And he's like, it went from the guy in the rear. I was like, right. The guy right behind me in the stack. He goes, no, no, no. The guy all the way in the rear. So it came from Rob who was two stacks back (laughs) that ended up shooting the target going down. And again, we're, you know, on the verge of 30 days out from going to Iraq. And I kind of looked at it. I'm like, man, I don't, I don't know whether to hate him or whether to love him right now for being capable of taking that shot, hitting the target while on the move, probably about a hundred yards away. And we're moving down an alleyway and he shoots in between my stack and the OC on the left and ends up hitting this target all the way down on the the backside. And truthfully, I kind of went up to him and I chewed his for a second but I also let him know I'm, I'm kind of happy to know that you have that capability of doing that kind of thing before we move into combat. I don't know what the right answer to that situation is, to be perfectly honest with you. Today's army, they probably chew your freaking but looking at staring down battle, I don't want anybody afraid to pull the trigger if they have to. And he was capable of doing it. And I leaned on him pretty hard um, on that deployment and the following ones. So I hope you guys enjoyed this episode of the Speak the Truth podcast. A lot of stuff going on in Ukraine right now, and I'm thinking with what's going on um, inside the Crimea, uh, you know, with that bridge being taken out in between Crimea and Russia, I think that we're going to likely see the Ukrainian counteroffensive start taking place out of the Kyrgyzstan region and pushing down towards Crimea sometime in the near future. I don't know what they're waiting on, whether it's munitions or further shaping operations. 
Again, that bridge um, that ended up getting hit, it looked like the lanes that are leading out of Crimea and going into Russia were the ones that were destroyed. Logistically speaking, that's not the best as long as the bridge is still up and functional. But I can't imagine that an explosion of that size on the bridge did not weaken other portions of it and are at least stopping operations for at least the near term feature until they're able to get that bridge inspected and make sure that they're not overweighing it and collapsing it. Hopefully they destroyed it to the point where it's going to start uh, disrupting the Russian forces um, and and affecting their supply chain issues going into uh, the Crimean Peninsula. Over in the Bakhmut region, um, coming up in the future, we're looking to see Ukraine actually enveloping and taking over uh, Bakhmut as a whole and kind of choking off and essentially uh, besieging like the Russian forces that are within inside that city. And that battle itself is likely to rage for quite some time after they do that. Russia is going to have a buildup of supplies within there. Um, and there is everything from Wagner to Chechens to regular army, airborne soldiers. There's all sorts of folks that are within that city, thousands of them that Ukraine is going to have to root out in order to fight and take that city unless they end up surrendering once everything's cut off. So more to follow out of there. And then also, uh, you know, so hopefully we see things coming out of Kyrgyzstan. Hopefully we see things happening a little bit more. Uh, if that strike was unsuccessful on that bridge that they end up doing another one here in the, the near term future, but also um, over in Bakhmut, getting that thing nice and encircled um, and cutting off those Russians and then just pushing a little bit more in the Zaporizhia region. But all of that is hard fought terrain with the amount of landmines and with the amount of defensive positions that Russia has been able to lay. So the future will tell um, kind of the, the way this war is going to slide and take place. But it looks like Ukraine is starting to get itself in a little bit of a better position. I know I trashed on them last week, like they're not taking a lot of terrain, they're low on supplies. Well, now it's looking like because of those commanders being relieved um, over on the Eastern Front, that Ukraine can probably seize a little bit of that momentum and start moving forward. So hopefully that's what we see. Um, Until the next time, I am out. Peace, love, happiness, and God bless. Take care.